Today on the Matt Wall Show, Caitlyn Jenner attended CPAC over the weekend, uh, reigniting the debate about whether this person, in any sense, represents conservatism. Uh, I will give an emphatic no to that question. Also, our five headlines, including Cubans waving American flags as they protest communism. Ben Carson upsets a lot of people with an entirely correct, by the way, statement about the black family. And the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, after releasing that song, warning that they are coming for our children, have now decided that they are the victims because of the backlash they received in response to it. And in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss Kamala Harris's claim that rural Americans don't have access to photocopiers. As a former rural American myself, I have some thoughts about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The great conservative hope, Caitlyn Jenner, was attending CPAC in Dallas over the weekend. Now, in fairness to CPAC, as far as I know, he was not there to give a speech, nor was he involved in any other official sort of capacity, as far as I know. But he did hit the interview circuit, where he rattled off a a series of Republican cliches. This sort of thing apparently still impresses some of the more mentally deficient members of the right wing. Here's Jenner, for example, talking to, uh, this is Right Side Broadcasting Network, at CPAC, CPAC and explaining, generally speaking, his, his kind of uh, approach and his stance as a conservative. Let's listen. Yes, there are so many career politicians out there. It is, is it going to be an easy job? No. No. But as an outsider, I am not the one who gave us the highest tax rates in the nation, one of the highest tax rates in the nation. Regulations on top of regulations. Um, it, this, the list goes on and on and on of what you say the career politicians have done to the state of California. I don't owe one special interest any favor whatsoever. I don't know one union. What I want to do is come in and represent the people. Right now, the people in California are not represented. I'm an outsider. Taxes are bad. Regulations, career politicians, special interests, the people, rah, rah, rah. So tired of hearing this. You might as well put a, a bunch of conservative buzzwords into a magic eight ball and shake it up and see what it says. You might as well interview a magic eight ball stuffed with conservative talking points. If you can still be swept off your feet by this kind of thing from a Republican politician or want to be a Republican politician, then I don't know what to tell you. I could teach a literal parrot, like an actual parrot, a bird, to say everything that Jenner just said there. And that's all he has, by the way. That's his whole pitch. Standard issue Republican claptrap doesn't get much deeper than that. Proving the point here, Jenner did have an opportunity at CPAC to talk about uh, his vision for the America First movement and what America First means to him personally. And here's what he said. Here with Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn, tell me, what does America First mean to you? It means exactly what it says. We need to put America first. Um, I have been around this country for a long time. You know, I've been lived out in California for 48 years. Um, I've seen what is happening out there. We're losing the state. 18,000 companies have left high taxes, this and that. We got to put America first. We got to put the people of California first. And uh, that's what I'm fighting for. America first means, uh, you know, America first. That's that's the thing about being America first. I just, I really believe in America being first. It's just such, you know, America, it's an America firsty type of thing. Uh, This and that. Vote for me. That was my favorite part of the answer was uh, this and that. You know, uh, high taxes and businesses and this and that. (laughs) No, you don't get to this and that. Because I know about the taxes part, but what else? Give me a little bit more than that. 
You can't this and that your way out of this. Somehow I am not persuaded. And yet I'm constantly reminded by conservatives that this is different. Sure, Jenner is at, at best a, a typical establishment Republican type, at best, serving up a bunch of reheated, microwaved GOP talking points from 2003. But he's doing it while wearing a dress. And that changes everything. Yes, what makes Jenner especially appealing, what makes him a more compelling candidate than your typical pre-programmed Republibot, is that he also offers us the opportunity to completely abandon our defense of biological reality by embracing the trans agenda and left-wing gender theory, all in one fell swoop. This is supposed to be a selling point, somehow. Now, for the mass of deluded saps who, who do consider it a selling point, I thought this would be a good opportunity to review um, a few things about Jenner. In fact, let, we could do this in chronological order. Uh, some, some, some things that maybe have been forgotten. Starting shortly after Jenner's stunning announcement that he is becoming a woman and, uh, and going up until now, let, let's review the positions that he's taken and the sorts of things he's been saying and advocating. We can begin in 2015. Here's a clip that has kind of flown under the radar for the last six years. Uh, now that Jenner is being embraced as a representative of the conservative movement, I think it warrants a second look. This is Jenner at an LGBT fundraiser. This was about six years ago. Recounting a hilarious and heartwarming incident that occurred in his home when his uh, children were much younger. Listen. One daughter was stealing the other daughter's clothes. Okay, so she set her computer up in the room and she put on that like security device that if anybody walked in, it would videotape them. Okay? I didn't know that, okay? <laughs> so, so everybody's gone. I got like three or four hours. Let's try on a few things here. And, and I come, and all of a sudden the kids come home, and I hear this big commotion going on in the other room. And Chris goes, uh, 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 here. Uh, yeah, sometimes. I was very stealthy. I, I, honestly, I went all these years. I mean, I, I would go to hotels, cross dress this and that, and never get caught. I have to, I'm proud of that, okay? Proud of that. Not to be clear, just so we're all on the same page here. I think it was pretty, pretty clear cut, but he went into his daughter's room and tried on her clothes. Um, now, imagine how traumatizing it would be for a young girl to uh, find out. It, maybe if you're, if you're a, a, a woman watching this and you, you think back uh, to when you were younger. It, it, just imagine finding out that your dad is invading your privacy, rifling through your closet and drawers and wearing your clothing when you leave the home. If a girl confided in you that, like today, if a young girl came up and confided in you that her dad had done this, you'd probably call the police. I mean, you would assume rightly that the child is not safe in that home. You wouldn't tell her to laugh it off. Oh, there's old dad up to his crazy hijinks again. You know, dads wearing their daughter's clothing. Happens all the time. In fact, even if this was, um, you know, even this, even this was a mom acting like this. Let's pretend this is a, a woman doing this, sneaking into her daughter's room to try on her clothes. It would be extremely weird and creepy and a sign that something is not right in that home. But this is not the mom, despite what we may be told now. This is the dad cross-dressing in his daughter's clothing. And he does, he does refer to it that way, by the way, as cross-dressing. We can all agree that, that this is disturbing and inappropriate at an absolute minimum. We can all agree with that. 
until the father comes out as, quote, trans, at which point it magically becomes laudable. I mean, the audience is literally applauding it, clapping. And then Jenner is embraced as a champion of conservative values. Continue on our tour here. Uh, our tour Here is Jenner sometime in 2016 on Tucker Carlson in a clip that was reposted to Twitter by a guy named uh, Bryson Gray, and uh, which is good to be reposted so we can all remember this. Um, but here's Jenner confessing where his real loyalties lie. And you can listen here. Is it America? Is it his state? Uh, not really. Listen. My loyalty do not lie with the Republican Party. Right. My loyalties and what I'm fighting for is my community, the LGBT community, and, and particularly the trans issues that are out there, because there are many of them. Um, and so that's where my fight is. Okay, his loyalties lie primarily not with his country, not with his state, but with the LGBT community. This is, this is not America first, rather it is quite expressly LGBT first. America first and LGBT first are not the same thing and will never be the same thing. Finally, in a clip that we, we have played on the show before, here is Jenner only a few months ago um, explaining that he does support males in women's sports, but with one qualifier. And it's a qualifier that only makes his position more demented and extreme. Listen. And you notice I did not say in that statement, trans women. I said biological boys. What I would do as, as governor, I would put together a commission. Trans women can compete in the Olympics, they compete in the NCAA, but when it gets down to the high school level, there's no guide rules, there's no rules and regulations how they can. Yeah. And trans women who are truly trans, who at a very young age, you know, started proper medical treatment, they've grown up as girls, of course they should be able to compete in girls' sports. But, yeah, some guy who hasn't done any therapy, hasn't done anything, there has to be a review board. I would be the first governor to put together a review board to review each case. Such a small issue. It's like a non-issue that's out there. And I would be surprised if there's 30 trans athletes in the entire state. He's not running as a trans activist, he says, even though he's previously said that his loyalties are with the LGBT community and trans issues primarily. More to the point, all at once, we see that Jenner not only supports putting males in girls' sports, but he also supports medical treatment, quote-unquote, for boys at, quote, a very young age to transition them into girls. He doesn't, he doesn't specify what he means by very young age, but I think we all know what that means. And he wants some sort of state commission put in place to examine these boys and determine if they have received enough medical treatment, quote-unquote, to now officially qualify as girls. How's that going to work? We're going to have some, some, some uh, commission of, of weirdos who bring these boys in and take a look and say, yeah, he's a girl. He'll pass. Throw him in the girls' track team. This one, no. He's got, you got to do uh, two more years of hormones on this one. That position is actually worse than the typical left-wing stance on this issue. And frankly, before Jenner came along with this idea, I didn't know it could get worse. So what are we left with? A man who confessed to cross-dressing in his young daughter's clothing, now identifies as a woman and says that his loyalties are with the LGBT community, and who supports medicating young boys to turn them into girls, and who holds no authentic conservative views that he can explain or defend with any coherency or depth. That's it. But then again, he has an R next to his name, and he uses words like tax cuts and regulations. And that's enough, apparently, for him to be accepted as a conservative, which is to say that the word conservative 
much like the word woman, no longer means anything at all. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now checking in with Rock Auto. You know, if you're having car trouble, if you need parts for your car, you're, you're at a, a fork in the road and you have two choices before you. One, one is that you could go to an auto parts store, walk around the aisles aimlessly looking for what you need. You can't find it. They order it online. Um, or they just don't have it in stock at all. You know, whatever it is. You, you could do that, waste all your time. Or you could just go to rockauto.com. And going to rockauto.com is so easy because all you got to do is pull out your phone, type it in, and you can find the lowest prices anywhere. If you see it at rockauto.com, you know that uh, you're getting the best possible price. You don't have to keep shopping around, comparing quotes and all that kind of stuff. They're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The catalog is unique, and uh, what I like most about it is that it's very easy to navigate. You don't have to know a lot about cars to find what you're looking for, which is good, because if you did, then I'd never be able to find anything on rockauto.com. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. So go now to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And remember, as always, to write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. So this is exciting starting off here, uh, number one, with... The report from the Daily Wire, Sir Richard Branson on Sunday won the space race among his fellow billionaires. We've got this, the, the billionaire space race has been happening. And uh, Richard Branson won it, rocketing to an altitude of more than 53 miles above the Earth, considered space by U.S. agencies. In doing so, he became the first Earthling to soar into space in his own vehicle. Um, so this was the first private, uh, f- first guy to take his own spaceship into space. Uh, in a Now, uh, we should also stipulate uh, he, he he was only up there. I think it was this, okay, a 14-minute flight. Branson at the age of 70, uh, the founder of Virgin Airlines and now Virgin Galactic, beat out rival Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, who's planning to fly to space in a rocket just nine days from now. Uh, you got you to feel bad for Jeff Bezos on that one. Maybe not. About 500 people, including Branson's wife, children, and grandchildren, had, had gathered at the runway in, in truth or consequences um, New Mexico cheered when the space plane landed. So he was up there for uh, was uh, 14 minutes, and there was like three minutes of flightlessness. So it's it's it's, it's about as as low as you could go while still being considered space, and that's where he went. Now, you know, I see online there are people saying that, oh, okay, well this is this is what space flight is going to be now. It's just something for rich people to do. And that's all this is. And what's the big deal? It's never going to be accessible to normal people. Uh, there's never going to be a time when like people like me and you are, can go up into space. And that may be true, but you also have to keep in mind that this is always the precursor to something being available to the masses. I mean, anytime there's some extraordinary new technology, it all, maybe not always, but Oftentimes, it begins with rich people before it gets to everybody else. Uh, cell phones, cars, uh, microwaves, TVs. I mean, I can still remember a time when having a big screen TV was a, was a big deal and was like a sign of wealth and privilege in the 90s. And I'd go to my, you know, I'd go to my, my I had a friend and his dad was like a lawyer or something. And they had a, a big screen TV and the thing was like 900 tons. The picture quality was terrible. And it probably costs like 10 grand. Now anyone can buy one for 300 bucks at Walmart. And they hang on your wall. 
so that's generally the way things go. Um, and right now, space is this activity for rich people, but no, won't necessarily always be that way. Um, that's my positive spin on it. And you don't often get positive spins from me, but there it is. Another positive development for this is from the Daily Wire as well. It says, massive protests erupt on Sunday in Cuba as uh, citizens of the island nation demanded an end to the communist dictatorship as they suffer in poverty while having limited freedom. The New York Times reported, quote, in a country known for repressive crackdowns on dissent, the rallies were widely reviewed as astonishing. Quote, activists and analysts called it the first time that so many people had openly protested against the communist government since the so-called, um, since uh, the uprising in 1994 in a huge wave of Cuba, Cubans leaving the country by sea. There were also people, a lot of images of, of this online. You probably saw many of them. Uh, some of the protesters waving American flags. And there's the kind of sad irony that's been observed um, where you've got some Cubans who have a more a, a, a more patriotic attachment to the United States of America than many Americans do. Um you know, when you see this, and you see people in Cuba under a communist regime rebelling against that regime, and rightfully so, there's always this question that comes up. And it's really, it's, we, we could get away from the economic, from the specifically economic questions, and just broaden it, and talk about human flourishing, human well-being, because that's what we should be concerned about. Um. And at the end of the day, the best system is going to be a system that that helps the most people flourish as human beings. So has there ever been a time when we look back in history? We know the people in Cuba are not flourishing and they certainly don't feel like they're flourishing, which is why what's this is happening now. Has there ever been a time when communism increased human flourishing? When, a, when a, a communist system was not in place and then it was put in place and suddenly now there is more human flourishing. And we see an increase in human well-being. Has that ever happened in history? Is there one example of that happening? The answer, of course, is no. Now, the, the advocates for communism in America today, and unfortunately there are many of them, if they had an example, they would just provide it. Because I'm not the first person to think of this argument. This, this is the, really the argument against communism. Um, is that we don't have to talk in theory about it. It's not a theory. It's an actual system. We've seen how it works. And we've seen every single time misery, despair, and death. And so at a certain point, you, maybe you learn a lesson from that. Now, if the advocates had even one example, they would point to it, but they never do. Instead, what do we always get? We always get the tried and true rejoinder that, well, that's not real communism. Real communism has never been tried. All of these are fake. They thought it was going to be real communism, and it turned out it was fake communism. So we got to keep on trying until we get the real thing. Um, next year, Ben Carson was at was also at CPAC, and he was uh, interviewed on stage, talked about many subjects. But at a certain point, he starts talking about the, the state of the black family here in the United States. What he said here has caused lots of controversy and outrage from the left and the right. 
People are, are, are very upset at uh, Ben Carson for saying this, but let's both listen to it. And then, yeah, I don't know, we'll, we'll decide if there's anything wrong with what he said. Let's listen. When you look at what the black community has been through, uh, go all the way back to slavery. It was the family, the strong family units and the faith in God that got people through that. That got people through Jim Crow, through severe segregation, uh, through all the difficulties. But what really had a negative impact was when the government came along and said, there, there, you poor little thing. I'm going to take care of all your needs and started implementing policies that were destructive to family formation. Those are the things that have hurt the black community the most. Um, okay, that's what he said. I, I, of course, when I hear someone say something like that, I know that it's going to be quote-unquote controversial. But as far as the substance of what he's saying, there's nothing controversial about that. Um, what we know, this is a, just a fact that the black community in modern America is in dire straits. And that's an understatement. There's never been anything like what we're witnessing right now in terms of the state of the black community. There's, there's never been a community um, that has so thoroughly abandoned the nuclear family. 70% fatherless rate. We all know the statistics. And that itself is also kind of an understatement because I think if you go into the if you were to, to specify um, in the cities and in the inner cities where the crime problem is the worst, fatherless rate is, is higher than 70%. We've never seen anything like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's an increasing problem across the country, not just in the black community. Also, we should know. But it is especially a problem there. It's a catastrophic situation. We've never seen anything like this in the history of the world. Um, we've never seen so many kids growing up without dads. Th- this is another thing. Uh, this is a, something that's proposed by the left, that we abandon the nuclear family. Black Lives Matter for a long time had that on their website. Whatever their phrasing was. I don't, I don't remember exactly the phrasing because they, they scrubbed it from their website after they got a lot of criticism. Which isn't to say that it's not part of their agenda anymore, but they, it's, it's not part of their uh, public agenda. They're not going to put it out there for you to read. But it was something like undermine the, the nuclear family or something along those lines. We have to free ourselves of the nuclear family. Well, now we're getting a look at what, that, what actually happens. What, what does that look like in practice when we free ourselves from the patriarchal bonds of the, of the nuclear family? What we see is, just, just like we see with communism, despair, death utter, unimaginable horror, which is what we're witnessing in the cities. And that's his point. That uh, we could talk about what are the causes of the collapse of the nuclear family in the black community, but we, we need to start with acknowledging that it is, it's a real thing. It is happening. There's not one simple cause that we can point to. But it's pretty clear that the government programs that have been put in place over the last several decades meant to help the black family have not helped. The black family is in a worse state today than it was before these policies were put in place. 
That's the observation that he's making. Pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. Um, and someone who is more than qualified to make that observation, by the way. All right, next here. This is from uh, SanFranciscoGate.com. The, you remember the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus? Uh, they put out this song. I, I, we have to play the song again for you, just to, just to remind you what we're talking about. Um, but the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, they put out a song last week where they're saying that they're coming for our, our children. They want to convert our children. Let's play the song again, and, and we can all remember this uh, musical masterpiece. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened You think that we'll corrupt your kids If our agenda goes unchecked Funny, just this once, you're correct We'll convert your children Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly And you will barely notice it You can keep them from disco Warn about San Francisco Make him wear pleated pants, we don't care We'll convert your children We'll make them tolerant and fair Okay, and then it gets, and then we get the, the entire chorus saying We're coming for your children, they repeat that over and over again um, And they, no, as far as I know There was no gun to their head forcing them to do this They made a decision I mean, they put, that's just a decision. They, they put a lot of time and effort into writing this song, producing it, singing it, performing it, putting it out there for the world. And uh, the response was very negative from a lot of people. And thank God it was negative. But now the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, uh, they're saying they're the victims, just so you know. The fact that um, this repulsive, piece of propaganda that they put out there received a negative reaction. That makes them the victims. Feel sorry for them. Not our children who they say they are, quote, coming for. But they're the victims. So, from sfgate.com says, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus says its members are being harassed online and receiving death threats after a satirical video satirical video that prominently features the phrase, will convert your children, went viral among conservatives. Those dastardly conservatives. Conservatives pounce. The video, which is no longer public on the group's official accounts, but can be found elsewhere online, was first posted Thursday last week. The course says it did not start picking up steam in right-wing spaces until the middle of this week. Uh, and then they put out a statement. In fact, I have a statement here. It says, this is the statement from the uh, Gay Men's Course. It says, the San Francisco Gay Men's Course was founded in part to fight discrimination and bigotry against all peoples. Today, our chorus members are facing death threats, vile attacks, false accusations, doxing, and other forms of harassment because of our satirical video performance message from the gay community. We Let's just stop there. Satir- what is it satirizing exactly? You're satirizing yourself? Are you satirizing your own agenda? What is the satire? We placed uh, the video in private mode to quell the intolerance and hateful responses from mostly anonymous people. Upon reflection, we've made it live again for all to see uh, the obviously satirical, tongue-in-cheek humor. We want everyone to judge for themselves. We will not allow ourselves, even in the face of death threats, to retreat or bow to attempts to twist our words, meaning self-deprecation and humor. 
Oh, it's self-deprecation now. They're making fun of themselves. Did that, did that come through at all in what you just listened to there? Or you watched the entire video? Self-deprecation? Um, we are thankful for the efforts of the San Francisco Police Department and law enforcement for their quick response and assistance in handling these threats. The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is dedicated to being role models, teaching, and spreading the message of love, inclusion, humor, and celebration through our music. Oh, love and, and inclusion. Is, uh, that's, that's, it's all about love and, and uh, inclusion when you tell parents we're coming for your children. You know, we, we need to, to teach your kids. Like the, the best possible interpretation the most generous interpretation for the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is that this was a song meant to mock conservative parents and to send the message to us that we are not capable of raising kind, uh, good people, and that's why we need the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus to step in and, uh, and the LGBT community, generally speaking, to teach our kids how to be kind and generous and tolerant and loving and accepting. That, again, is the best possible interpretation. And even on the best possible interpretation, uh, people reacted as exactly as anyone should expect them to react. What do you think people are going to do? Of course, they're going to be angry. I don't condone death threats, but like I always say with this, anytime someone gets backlash online, for doing or saying something that's truly objectionable. They always claim, oh, I got got hundreds and hundreds of death threats. Maybe you did. I don't actually believe it until you produce the receipts and you show us. Um, This idea that there's this deluge of of death threats, maybe, but I don't believe anyone who claims that until until you prove it. And even then, that does nothing to get you off the hook. Yeah, you shouldn't be getting death threats, but you also shouldn't have put out the content that you put out. And as far as people reacting in general, just hatefully, yeah, that's fully justified. It's a hateful message you put out there. And it gets a hateful, I hate the message. The message that you want to convert my children, you're coming for my children, um, I'm not capable of raising them to be loving and all of these things. And it, 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 I need your assistance. I hate that message. And so my response is going to be hateful towards the message that you decided to put out there. You're not the victim at all. Now, on a similar theme here, um, this is from RT.com. It says, Officials in London's Redbridge Borough were left red-faced after a library event designed to promote reading, supposedly. We'll put the pictures up here. Okay, there's the picture. Um, and if you're, if you're listening on uh, you know, Apple Podcasts or the digital podcast, you've got to go over to YouTube or Daily Wire just so you can see. Just so you can see this, the, the picture here to fully appreciate what we're dealing with. So this, is the, um, this was an event designed to promote reading among kids, and it featured a monkey character in a costume that included a dangling fake genitalia and exposed buttocks. So this is some guy in a rainbow, they're calling that a monkey costume. I don't know what that is. Some kind of furry, hairy freak in a rainbow costume with a a large fake penis hanging from his costume and exposed buttocks. 
He went to the library um, to promote reading among kids. Why do you need that? It's a good message, telling kids that they should read. Fully, fully support that message. Why do you need him? Why, why is that the vehicle for that message? Well, for the same reason that drag queens are the vehicle. Because it's not really about reading at all. It's about desensitizing and, uh, and, and normalizing this behavior to kids. So this library decided to go this direction. Um, and there were a lot of complaints. Shockingly, people were offended by that. I mean, it is a costume designed. Every aspect of the costume is designed to offend people. But now the library and the, the, the uh, Mandinga arch troupe that put all this together, they've uh, apologized and said, well, we're not going to do that again. And they're acting surprised, much like with the San Francisco Gay Man's Course. They're acting surprised. Like, I, I had no idea people would be upset by this. All we did was send a guy in a hairy rainbow monkey suit with, uh, with a dildo and exposed buttocks. All we did was send him in a li- to a library to talk to kids. What, you have a problem with that? Oh, I had no idea. No, this was, uh, they knew what they were doing. And this is all part of the desensitization process, but they went a little too far too fast. Same with the song from the Gay Men's Chorus. They knew exactly what they were doing. They're not at all surprised people are upset. They just didn't think this many people would be upset and that the reaction would be as, uh, as strident as it is. This is all about desensitizing and normalizing. And sometimes the people who are who have put themselves in charge of that, of that agenda, they go a little too far too fast. And they have to back up and say, oh, okay, okay, never mind. Maybe we'll try this again in five years. Maybe we'll send the guy in the monkey suit back into the library five years from now. Maybe people will be ready for it then. And you know something? They probably will be. Sad to say. All right, next, uh, finally here, a, uh, I want to show you this video. Ride at a carnival. Because there's an important lesson here. This is, a, this is a, a lesson of safety. This is at the Cherry Festival in Traverse City, Michigan. One of those rides, like every a carnival ride, it just goes around and around in circles. That's all the carnival rides do. And um, let's play the video here so you can see, presumably, a lot of kids up on that ride. And the carnival ride almost falls over. But this is terrifying. Carnival ride is about... To, there, there are other angles on this that show... Um, that I think show it a little bit better, but this is the angle that I that I had. Carnival ride's about to fall over while it's spinning, and then a bunch of men run over to grab onto it and kind of counterweight. And they, they, they probably saved some lives doing that. So credit to them for that. And the carnival ride operator also. When I first saw this video, it, it looked like the carnival ride, and I was kind of... Sl- I, I showed this video to my wife, and I was... I felt bad I was slandering the carnival ride operator because it looked to me like he ran away, but he didn't. It turns out he, he jumped off. I guess he hit the kill, kill switch, and then he was the first one to hang on to the ride um, and try to recruit other people to come over and help. And yeah, like I said, he could have saved lives. But the lesson here, aside from these men uh, doing the right thing, and, and, uh, and w- which is great, Instead of standing around, there's someone standing around filming it, but instead of everyone standing around filming, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next, you actually have, it looks like 15 or 20 guys leap into action, which is, which is good. 
But the other lesson here is never go on a ride that was just pulled off of a truck and reassembled in a parking lot. And three days from now will be broken down again and put into a truck and sent to another parking lot. So general, you go to an amusement park. I mean, those are rides that are permanent. They're put in place. There are all kinds of, those things are checked all the time. And still we have accidents every once in a while, very rarely. But accidents on carnival rides are much more common because these are, they're put on a truck and they're brought to a parking lot and then they're assembled by who knows. It's not like there's some real stringent policy in place for checking these things. And uh, it's just, it's not the safest idea to do that. Uh, and I, I know we all grew up with carnival rides. Our parents grew up with it. This might be one of those things. I, I'm, I'm all about history and tradition, hanging on to the traditions of our childhood. Maybe the traveling carnival thing is one thing we should leave in the past. Possibly. Let's move now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Lauren says, your fans are crying out for sweet baby gang merchandise. Don't let this be a missed opportunity, Matt. Uh, I'm trying not to. By the way, I tried to explain. People have been tweeting at my wife with the the sweet baby gang, hashtag sweet baby gang. And she she was not aware. Um, My wife so far is not in the sweet baby gang. She didn't even know that it existed. And so I was put in the position, I think we were eating dinner. and, and, And she's like, so what is a sweet baby gang? And I had to explain it to her. And as I'm explaining it, I, I just realized this is the kind of thing you can't explain. And we should never explain. If anyone ever asks you, what does it mean to be in the Sweet Baby Gang? You just, it's like a it's like fight club. We don't talk about it. Um, Angie says, never ever play Vax That Thing Up Again. Well, don't tell me what to do, Angie. Angie, you, you should know better than to tell me what to do. Play the song. I think I made the point. I think I made the point. What do you think's going to happen, Angie? You should know, but I have the maturity of a four-year-old. You tell me not to do it, and I'm going to do it. Um, Jesse says, I want Sweet Baby Gang attire. Capitalize on this, Matthew. Another comment, crying out for Sweet Baby Gang shirt. I'm tearing up looking at it. This, uh, this is, just, this is a, a quick sampling of comments. Uh, the, the people have spoken. They want the Sweet Baby Gang merchandise. Um, another comment says, I want a sweet baby gang shirt. However, I feel it should be more vague so that everyone is always left scratching their heads about what it means. But you're telling me, so you're saying the shirt as it's, where is the shirt? Okay. This shirt is not going to make people scratch their heads wondering you're telling me that. So you want a shirt that this will not make people scratch their heads wondering what the hell that means. That's what you're telling me. That's the greatest thing about this shirt is people will see that and be totally confused and disturbed by it. Um, Maximilian says, Matt, you should uh, totally wear the Sweet Baby Gang t-shirt as your new Hideous Friday shirt. Hideous? Well, you're banned from the show. So you're not going to see what shirt I wear on Friday because you're not allowed to watch anymore. Uh, Alex says, as someone with a master's degree in history, I concur with Matt on the general worthlessness of these degrees. I have heard this over and over again. 
from people with master's degrees. So I don't know what else you need to know. If you're if you're thinking about spending the money on a master's degree, um, just talk to people who've gotten them. Don't take it from me. I don't have okay. I, I have no college degree at all. What do I know about it? Fine. Talk to people who've gotten the master's degree and ask them if they think it was a worthwhile investment. Pull like ten random people and see what re- responses you get. Um, Alex says, not only is Matt the type of guy to avoid the elevator for, uh, avoid holding the elevator for a random stranger, but he would also be the guy to push the closed door button in hopes that it closes the elevator door faster. Well, I always push the closed door button every time. And certainly, yeah, it's, it's very convenient because the closed door button's right next to the open door button or the hold door button. And so when someone's running down the hallway, oh, hold that, hold that. You can always, you're, you're pressing the close button while saying, oh, I'm trying to, Sorry. This dang thing isn't working. And uh, finally, Jose says, I'm throwing away a third of my life in a classroom, but at least it's to become a doctor. Well, that's, see, that's, you're throwing away a third of your life in a classroom if you're, if you just keep going back into the classroom because you don't know what else to do, which is what a lot of people do. They keep getting more and more degrees and finding more and more reasons to go back to school because uh, they have no real plan for afterwards. Um, but with graduate school, just like with, with, uh, with undergrad, there is a place for it. I've always said that. I think probably 90% of the people who go to any kind of school after high school, it's a waste of time. They don't really need to do it. But that leaves 10% who really need to go. And if you want to be a doctor, I fully support. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a good idea to have uh, more formal education after high school for doctors. So I'm fully on board with that. Just so you know. Now we have a new sponsor on the show, uh, Echelon. And I'm excited about this because, look, when it comes to fitness, one excuse that I have made myself many times, an excuse I hear from people all the time, is that I want to get in shape. I just don't have the time to do it because I live such a busy life and I've got to make sure to schedule five hours of Netflix binging at the end of the day. Uh, That's why you want to remove that excuse completely. And you can do that with Echelon. Echelon's fitness app provides you thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music from your favorite artists. With Echelon, you can work out anytime, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. A full range of affordable workout equipment is available to you, including stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, or the auto-folding treadmill. You have all this at your house, which means that you, you all, all you need is time to just walk downstairs to your basement or whatever and uh, get in shape. And now my listeners will get a special podcast offer from Echelon for a limited time only. Start your 30-day risk-free trial offer with uh, Echelon's EX3 bike for just $1, a special risk-free offer for 30 days with Echelon's EX3 bike for only $1 to start, plus free shipping. The only way to get this special offer is by going to echelonfit.com slash matt. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N-F-I-T dot com slash matt, echelonfit.com slash matt. And, you know, as a theocratic fascist myself, I, I know an authoritarian takeover when I see one. I've been waiting for one my whole life, only I want to be the one in charge of it. So the authoritarian takeover we're seeing right now, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Um, and not to alarm you, but that is what's happening. There is an authoritarian takeover, and I'm not the one in charge. That's what makes it so difficult. From the insertion of critical race theory into the classrooms in an attempt to brainwash our youth to the totalitarian lockdown measures inflicted upon the public by our government, There's no doubt that the biggest threat facing America today is an authoritarian one. That's why Ben Shapiro wrote The Authoritarian Moment to help people like you learn as much as they can about how we got here and, most importantly, how we can fight back. So don't wait. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need to shut America's tyrants down in their tracks before it's too late. 
The authoritarian moment is now available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, I must once again cancel Kamala Harris. Now, at this point, the bar for Kamala cancellations is pretty high. If I canceled her every time she said something embarrassing or stupid, we'd never be able to talk about anyone else during this segment. So she has to really bring the good stuff in order to earn it. And she really did earn it this time. Listen. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near them. People have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws, be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Of course, people have to prove who they are, but not in a way that makes it them it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. Almost impossible. So there she was on BT giving her thoughts on voter ID. Credit where it's due. She is she is correct that uh, for people in rural communities, there's no Kinkos nearby to photocopy an ID. That's because Kinkos doesn't exist and has not existed for like 15 years or something. Rural Americans are as near to Kinko's as they are to, uh, I don't know, a Heckinger's or an Ames department store. And uh, it, because they don't exist. And come to think of it, she's correct about the rest of what she said also. I just moved from a rural community um, where I lived. And, and the only photocopier we had was an old Amish man named Gabriel who would produce a sketch using coal and parchment paper in exchange for a bale of hay and three ears of corn. But old Gabe didn't work as fast as he did in his younger years. So it would take a good six months for you to get the document sometimes. Um, I didn't even know that these newfangled photocopiers existed until I moved to the city. In fact, I, I walked into a Staples. I got here to Nashville and uh, it's my, it my first time being, you know, around buildings and, and cars and everything. And I walked into a Staples and, uh, and I saw people reproducing images with lo- these large, noisy machines. And the first thing I thought was that it was some kind of sorcery, especially because it stopped working the minute I dumped a gallon of holy water on it. These dang city folk are in league with the devil, I tell you. Actually, I do unironically believe that many people in the city are in league with the devil, but that has nothing to do with their photocopier technology, which, contrary to Kamala Harris's claim, we did have access to out in the country. In fact, we had computers and phones, not to mention electricity and running water. We even had them there, fancy things that uh, kept our food all cold and icy-like. Refrigerator, I think it was called. As a matter of fact, um, even though I was a, a simple country boy, I knew, and this is what I did, because I, I was a little bit far away from the nearest place to, 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 to photocopy. And uh, so, so uh, I knew that I could make photocopies on my phone. Anyone can download an app for free that will scan any physical document. There's a nice little tip for you if you didn't know that. Really, really convenient. I also knew that I could buy a copier and printer if I wanted to. I could go on, uh, what's the, uh, the, the internets and go to Amazon. You could order one, they'll send it to your house. Or if need be, I could get in my horse-drawn carriage and make the journey to FedEx or Staples or the post office or any of a dozen other places that can handle the complicated task of photocopying an ID. Whatever method of photocopy you prefer, the good thing is that wherever you live, if you want to participate in a presidential election, You have four whole years to figure it out. 
Is there anyone in America who can look back at the last four years of their lives and say that during that entire time frame, they were simply unable to make it to a Staples? Even Gabriel the Amish guy could get it done in four years. Even if the nearest Staples was 400 miles away and I was living out in the wilderness and I had to walk the whole distance and yet somehow I had an ID in the first place, I could still do it in four years with time left over, time to spare. There is quite literally no conceivable reason why any single human being in the modern United States should be prevented from voting by voter ID laws. And that's probably why people like Kamala Harris never provide any actual examples of any specific real-life people who wanted to vote and yet were unable to vote because during the course of the preceding four years, they were unable to get an ID and or make a photocopy of one. I contend that such a person does not exist. And note that if such a person did exist, it still would not prove that voter ID laws are bad or unreasonable or cumbersome. That the law is cumbersome to a small minority of extremely incompetent people is not an argument against the law itself. But the anti-voter ID position is so absurd, so lacking in any factual basis whatsoever, that I doubt that any small minority exists. They exist only in the imaginations of infantilizing politicians like Kamala Harris who think that rural Americans exist in some kind of 18th century time warp. Or at least they pretend to think that. As fun as it is to mock this sort of thing, we can't make the mistake of believing that Kamala Harris actually believes it. If she did, then she would be stupid and sheltered and ignorant in the extreme, but still basically well-meaning. She's not well-meaning. She knows, they all know, that any adult human in the country can easily qualify to vote even under the most stringent voter ID laws currently being enacted or proposed. All these laws will do is confirm that the people voting are who they say they are, just as you have to prove that you are who you say you are in order to do almost anything else in adult life, from buying alcohol to renting a car to staying at a hotel to procuring an apartment or a home, etc. The people who oppose the laws then oppose them because they want the process of voting to be far less secure than the process of buying a six-pack of Heineken at the gas station. And why is that? Because they want voter fraud. There is no other reason to take the position that they've taken. That is pretty clear. And for that reason, Kamala Harris is canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, massive pro-freedom demonstrations break out in Cuba. The United States continues its ill-advised withdrawal from Afghanistan. And Kamala Harris thinks rural people don't have photocopiers. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen.